0: talking money and investing, Now I'm going to do something a little different because um, I think I ought to. Yeah, I'm going to approach this uh, as just a little bit of a different hour just to talk a little bit about something that in the course of a meeting that I had recently clients just said, you ought to talk about this. You never talk about this. And, and I said, well, yeah, I don't talk about some things because um, I, just, I just don't. <laughs> but, it, you know, just how do you know for sure what your investing strategy or a person that you go work with? I see people on Facebook, for example, or I see people on social media. Go talk to XYZ investment firm. And then I go, if you really read their contracts, you probably wouldn't tell people to go talk to them, because you probably never read their contracts. You never read their ADV. Uh, it's a, it's a disclosure document that you have to put out there, and most people don't read fine print. They just don't. You know, so how do you know what you're doing? You know, how do you get some kind of an inkling that what you're doing is prudent and and you know, good way of investing? Uh, and, you know, I hear all kinds of things out there, you know, things about what people do. And I guess, ah, so, you know, one of the things that I thought I would talk a little bit about is to how do we critically think about what we're investing or seek out information about what we're investing in? How do we really go about that? Because a lot of times what people do is they just look at past performance, for example. Uh, they, they go and invest based on, hey, you know, you got this fund, this fund, this fund. I think I'm going to put you in these funds because that's what they historically did. And you go, well, great. Uh, what are they going to do tomorrow? <laughs> what are they going to do next week? And, you know, you can't know that. You know, hence, so investing based on historic performance, you know, what do markets do? They go up and they go, and I often will do this with people and go, okay, you hear about looking at three, five, and 10-year track records, right? That's what you hear about investing based on, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. And it seems to make sense, right? Yeah, it sounds good. Well, what are we looking at? We're looking back at the rearview mirror when we're investing, when we do that. And if you look at it that way, you go, well, wait a minute. Uh, The prospectus says past performance is no guarantee of future results. And, and, you know, it it says it's no guarantee, but, you know, it, it seems to be a good uh, it implies what it's going to do, doesn't it? I mean, doesn't that kind of imply the past performance? You know, that's that's what people, it's where they go mentally. And we are shown past performance as if it's going to be future performance. I mean, that's what gets people to sign on the dotted line. Uh, and, you know, we might talk to a friend. So how was your experience, you know, at this firm? Well, you know, I've been over here and, and this was the return over the period of time. And this happened very much in the late 90s i saw a lot of this anybody that had a typical investment firm you know large u.s growth companies had been rocking for years and so what happened is you'd have people that had really good experience for five years you know six years and then people piled in and said wow you know you ought to talk to my advisor and they would pile in and then of course what happened is the tech stock you know that whole debacle occurred and you had an 80 percent decline course so now we look back and go wow that was a really bad idea looking at short term past performance but that's you know typically what we look at so what do you look at if you, you can't look at that and you know the idea is to be able to be critical about this and really think through this and you know if we look at what we use to make good investment decisions and you know, a lot of times people think well our, our intelligence you know and uh our success maybe i'm a successful doctor or i'm a successful attorney or a successful whatever and you know think maybe that my intelligence is going to insulate me from making bad investment decisions or maybe what we can do is we can say hey you know we we look out there and we say i can detect because of my intellect you know, where something is as a fraud or it's a scam. And the reality of it is some of these things are so sophisticated and they're designed to appeal to your basic instincts and emotions that it's really hard to know in advance when something actually is a scam. So maybe we can't necessarily rely on that. Another thing is, you know, we can think about the critical things that we ought to be investigating and validate the legitimacy of a strategy. Maybe that's a way of looking at things, and I'll get to that in a second. But, you know, these are the things that, w- that we're struggling with as investors. Now, so the first one thing that I was talking about is individual intelligence. And you say, well, that can insulate me from investing scams. And you have, you know, guys like there was uh, the story of John Elway, Hall of Fame NFL quarterback. You know, you have to be pretty doggone intelligent. You know, you, you, it, it's the old cliche that it that uh, football players are dumb. But, you know, I, I remember playing football in high school and going, man, you have to memorize a lot of things and you've got to be really on top of a lot of different things and how what the plays are and what you do in each play and, you know, how they work and the design and, and all of that. And, you know, so it's uh, there's more to it, I think, often than meets the eye. But here's a guy that actually uh, he's a president of. You know, he was MVP player and, uh, and uh, car dealership owner. And, and, you know, what ended up happening is he lost $15 million in a Ponzi scheme was one of the things that was out there in uh, NPR actually reported on this back in 2014. Then you got, uh, you know, Representative Alan Grayson, you know, jurist, doctor, you know, magna cum laude, Harvard, uh, you know, he lost $18 million on a fraudulent investment scheme. And then you've got uh, Stephen, Stephen Greenspan, Professor Stephen Greenspan, you know, a doctorate in developmental psychology. Uh, here's a guy that knows psychology, right? And I talk about psychology a lot. And he had a lot of postdoctoral work at UCLA, uh, professor emeritus, educational psychology at University of Connecticut. Uh, you know, he, he basically uh, published in, in December of 2008, just days after he made a long list of Bernie Madoff victims. He did this whole thing of Annals of Gullibility was one of his books. That's what he wrote. And, you know, it's like, I'll never fall for that. And I'm too, I'm too sophisticated. And the reality of it is, is there's, there's a whole list of people that ended up getting taken in by Madoff, and they weren't poor investors. That wasn't who he was going after. He went after people with lots of money, people that were very intelligent. And those were the people that fell for it. And I did a video on this back when it happened. I go, why did this happen? And I talked an awful lot about how we feel entitled. Wealthy people feel entitled to better advice and better information and better investments than, you know, the mortal person out there. And the reality of it was, quite often, that can make them more of a mark because they think they're going to get something great, you know, I guaranteed returns it's going to go straight up you can't lose and and you can have market returns with no risk and a lot of really intelligent people fall for that kind of stuff i talk about it on a regular basis with a lot of products that are out there and what happens is that you know the uh you and this one person is pat huddleston actually uh said this uh, it was uh, in my time at this u.s securities and exchange commission this is a quote If you gathered together the PhDs, the MBAs, DDSs, CPAs, attorneys, and other college graduates we talked to who had lost six figures to a scam, you cannot stuff them all in Ted Turner's biggest house. And, you know, people don't expect to be victims of scams. We just don't. Or frauds. But we're actually, some of these people are going to be the most vulnerable. And we have the stereotype that it's old people just people that have reduced cognitive abilities are most most likely to be scammed and that's not necessarily the case yeah a lot of times they you know they do end up as victims of these things but it's not necessarily the stereotype that we ought to be focusing on and what happens is our self-confidence as we get older we actually become more self-confident And the reality is that our cognitive abilities do tend to wane. I did a thing on that a few weeks ago where I was talking a little bit about our best age that we make decisions. You know, the the age that we make our best decisions and, and the best age for making your great decisions, you know, and then what happens after that, we may become more confident, but we become less able many times. And what happens is that we fall for things we never thought we'd fall for there were like 10 billion in losses were reported to the fbi in 2022 i mean that's a huge amount of money and nobody's exempt and what happens these things are sophisticated a lot of these investment schemes are very sophisticated they sound good here's what we're going to be doing we're going to be using now, options, contracts to limit the downside. Uh, we'll be using puts on the portfolio, and you may not know what that is, but it's a way of actually limiting downside risk on a portfolio, or do use covered calls, or uh, we're going to actually do a lot of research in these markets, and you know, there was an old joke. I was actually showing somebody a video this week, and I said, man, I used to use this video all the time in our workshops, and it was really, really funny. It was a Saturday Night Live skit. I probably ought to reintroduce it sometime to some of our workshops because it really is funny. But basically, what the whole thing was it's a lady in a hotel room and she's getting dressed and she's talking to this financial guy. And the financial guy is talking about investing in dividend paying stocks. And she goes, Oh, you know, dividends is a sign of financial strength. Wow, that seems like it makes some sense. And, and, you know, the whole time the guy is like gearing up to jump out the window. <laughs> you know, like, and not funny, but you know, you think about it, you know people jumping out of the window because the investing markets were going to crash or did crash. You know, in the nineteen thirties, it was just kind of a playback to that, where you know this guy is, you know, and the whole time he's falling. You know, he's talking about how great of an investment this is, and 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 she's just laughing as she's this lady, this client, she's actually watching the video and going, oh my gosh, that's really funny. And i says yeah we used to use that all the time in our workshops because that's one of those things that we see all the time and how do you take income from a portfolio well you have high dividend paying companies that's what you do and i said well the dividend is high compared to what and the answer to that is it's high compared to the stock price oh so the stock price is low is what we're saying right yeah well why would a stock price of a company be low could it possibly be because it may be a distressed company? And the answer would be yes. You know, A lot of value distressed companies are actually low price because the future uh, prospects for the company may not be that great. <laughs> and you go, well, that's what we're going to do. We're going to put all our oldest investors in the most distressed companies and we're going to take an income from it. And you know, go, well, wait a minute, what if the dividend stops? I mean, that happens. You have these companies that pay dividends, and what happens is they they can't pay dividends. They feel that they've got to pay a dividend. They've got to continue to do it. And you you hear these stories of this where they borrow money to pay the dividends. Now, what is a dividend? It's a subset of the earnings of the company. What if earnings stop coming in? Happens all the time. You look back through history, and all the most popular companies of the past are not even the companies that are even around anymore. Look at the Dow industrial average you know look back to the 1930s at the list of companies under the dow and ask yourself how many are still in there and the answer would be zero so you go oh well wait a minute maybe earnings in the past don't mean anything about earnings in the future maybe that's not but why is it taught because it sounds good it sounds good. It's, that's why I said a lot of this stuff, and it's not necessarily a fraud or a scam to sell investments based on dividends as an income, but it is something that may be less than optimal. Can we just say that? And what happens is that we have different types of Things out there, you know, advanced fee type things or insider trading, you know, and, and we look at that and go, well, that's illegal. And, and, you know, what happens is that, you know, people engage in these types of things in market manipulation, you know, trying to buy things in advance used to be that you, you would go and get these faxes. You got to buy this company, got to buy this company. And go, well, you know, why do I have to buy? This? Oh, this company is getting ready to take off. And then you find out that it's a thinly traded stock not a lot of trading goes on and they're hoping that you'll buy it because literally you buying it can drive up the price so they can sell it and make profit for themselves you know and then you have Ponzi schemes you know things that we hear about and pyramid schemes and you know unauthorized pooling is another thing you see in wash trading and and you know cryptocurrencies things and all of that stuff but what happens is these people go social and the losses are facilitated by some of these social media platforms, and the losses can be huge if you look at the research on it. And, you know, we we see these things and go, wow, you know, the person says, hell, oh, you ought to be talking to my advisor. or You ought to talk to me. I'm a licensed advisor. And you don't know anything about the person. You know, so... What happens is investors end up doing things and blindly not really knowing what they're doing. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit. I want to get into a little bit of what should we be looking at? What are the things that we ought to be looking at and thinking about? Back right after this. Thanks for tuning in to the Investor Coaching Podcast. Now you may be one of these people that's been listening and realizing, wow, investing, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye and financial planning tax laws constantly changing and recognizing that maybe you might need some help in this area, but you don't want just anybody to help you out. So we have 10 offices in the Middle Tennessee area and everything that we do is fee only. We align our interests with your interests. So you can get an initial 15-minute phone call with any one of our offices just by going to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. That's it. Every one of the offices is run by somebody with 20-plus years experience. They're all degree planners. They all have academic backgrounds in investing, and you can get the help that you need. So if you want to set up a complimentary phone consultation, just go to paulwinkler.com forward slash Call and we look forward to seeing you soon. And you know, I was talking about the cryptocurrency thing, you know, before, and that was something that I railed about for a long time before some of the biggest cryptocurrencies just went to heck in a handbasket. It wasn't like I started talking about it after it went it came crumbling down. I talked about it well before it happened and you know it's just one of those things that you know well how do you know that's going to happen i don't know when you don't know how i have no idea but i just knew that from what i had learned from studying under you know people that were academics and and researchers investing and teaching on academic uh, processes of investing that anything that doesn't have a cost of capital is not an investment you know, if there's no payment to use your money, like interest or earnings or rent or anything like that, it wasn't an investment. So that was one of the things I just, and I've done that a lot, you know, in the course of doing this radio show for 22 years. You know, people had asked me about things and maybe some sometimes they would even ask me about things I had not even heard of. Never forget one phone call I got on the show. And I had this phone call and this guy goes, hey, Paul, what about this? And I didn't even know. What it it was funny because I did not know what it was. I hadn't seen it. And this is, we're going back 20 years on this one. And what happened is I said, So, you know, tell me a little bit about what it is, what it is that's attracting you to it. (laughs) And he goes, Well, it's this, you know, he talks about this return without risk. And then I start talking about, Oh, wait, wait, let me just tell you a little bit about return without risk. Okay. I said if you look at an investment and it says we're going to give you lots of return but there's no risk ask yourself this question when you invest what are you doing you're letting somebody use your money yes right okay got that why would they give you a high return or give you a lot of payment if there were no risk i mean what kind of what are you putting up with i mean if you think about it when you go to a gym and you work out, what are you doing? You're putting your muscles under strain. When you run, you're putting your muscles and your body under strain. Why? Because you know intuitively that to get some gain on something, it's gonna you're going to have to put something out. If you want to become, let's say, a successful doctor, you're going to have to study and you're going to have to study hard and you're going to have to put on long hours cracking books. You know, it just doesn't, somebody just doesn't drop, you know, doctor in front of your name or put JD after your name or, you know, any of the financial, you know, planning designations or whatever. They just don't drop it on you for just saying, gee, I want that. <laughs> it doesn't, life doesn't work that way. It never works that way. You know, so if we look at any kind of thing where you're going to get some kind of return with no risk, I just said, you know, intuitively, this doesn't work. And I said, here's the problem. And and, and I started talking a little bit about it in general, what I thought, what, uh, what made sense to this person. And I'll never forget, a couple days later, in my office, I get a call from an attorney. And the attorney goes, Paul, I listened to your show and you nailed that. And I said, great, explain. And he goes, I deal with that particular type of investment thing quite a bit. And let me explain to you what's actually going on. And he explained and he gave me the details about it. I'm not going to even mention what it was because it doesn't matter. It was a real estate involved type of a thing, but anyway, what happened? Is he goes, "This is what we deal with. And I'm a real estate attorney. And this is what we do, and we do this day in day out." And you just nailed that. You know, they answered that question. I <laughs> well, That's a good thing, because I really didn't know what the person was talking about, right? But you know, I just knew in general. I wanted to talk about in general the idea of you know the investment returns and risk and how they're related and the academic research. And I just knew that you know that there was no such thing. And, of course, you know, turned out to be that way. But, you know, what happens with crypto and, and you know, that you just had these, these things going up in value, but it was just because there was demand and people were driving the price up. It had nothing to do with the idea that there was actually something, you know, to it. And, you know, Madoff was selling this fantasy, too. He was selling that you could get these returns and it was just going straight up. And if you look at the returns of his supposed accounts, it was up, 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 up. And there were no fluctuations like there were in the underlying market, you know, from 1990 through 2008. It was because the books were fake. <laughs> it was a fantasy. It, was, it really wasn't anything that was really happening. He was faking the numbers. And what happened is he felt that he was trapped by his own con because, you know, he didn't know how to get out of it. It was the craziest thing because, you know, he had a sidestep and he seemed thinking, maybe if I can, oh gosh, I made a sidestep. So he starts faking it and then thinks that maybe he can actually really make up uh and and get the higher returns so that he can come out of his scam. But, you know, of course it didn't happen. And, you know, what happened? He says people asked him all the time, hey, how did I do it? And and he says he refused to tell him. And they still invested that was the crazy thing people still invested with madoff and they were asking him how did you do it and he just i didn't tell him secret i can't tell you that kind of information (laughs) and you know and he said he said sophisticated people should have known better and what happened is what allowed it to continue for so many years was that he had so much credibility in the industry i mean here was a guy that was on the you know the board you know for and he was like one of the founding people for nasdaq he was on the board for the securities exchange commission um and you know and still it's funny the funny thing is is that people are in the in the inmates and and the prison guards were constantly asking for for investment advice and they wanted him to teach a course on how to invest and he said the prison wouldn't allow it and the prison wouldn't allow him to do that was probably a good thing right (laughs) But what happens is a lot of investment managers are just gambling and speculating. You don't even know it's happening. You don't even realize it's happening because you don't know what to look for. And some of the things that I see out there, and we, I was pushed to sell back when I was an investment advisor, limited partnerships. Oh my goodness. I would study that stuff and I would study and I was studying. I was just going, I just don't feel like I can recommend this to a client. I just didn't feel like I could recommend it. You know, so I didn't, thankfully, and, you know, lucky for my clients because, you know, these limited partnerships, I mean, good grief, there was a, uh, when that stuff collapsed in the 1980s, you know, in 1990s, it was an absolute mess. And then you have guaranteed products. And I could just never get behind that because, and now we, now we look back and I, and I've talked about this before, the research on some of these guaranteed products and the rates of return are about the same as bonds, Oh, you can get market returns with guarantee. And, and you know, I've talked about that, you know, ad nauseum. And then you end up with your friends telling you what to do, and a lot of times they don't have a clue. But what happens, what we miss is that there is empirically tested academic research about investing and empirically tested. In other words, it doesn't come from the investment industry. One of my guys was actually, uh, you know, Scott up in the Goodlitzville also was telling me about something that the other day, and he ran this thing, about this investment thing that he had seen uh, as uh, a friend actually investing in. And the idea was that they had this on this website. They showed, hey, look, and, and here's a, one of those mountain charts. You know, you see these mountain charts. It, it's kind of up and down, up and down, but, you know, it goes from left to right, in a diagonal, but you know, up and down, and, and they're showing how huge their returns were, and they were showing their returns versus the, the Wilshire 5,000, you know, just the market over this period of time, and it, it was it was impressive. I mean, the Wilshire over the period of time that they were showing had a 34% rate of return, that's a total cumulative rate of return, and it was over a rough period for the stock market, you know, that they were actually showing for for the Wilshire. There's you know, there are some areas of the market over that period of time, other asset classes, international especially, that had done very, very well. But they're, they're, number one, they're comparing it against U.S. companies. And the wheelchair would be really skewed toward large companies, which were really struggling. But, you know, it still had a 34% rate of return over that period of time. And then what they were showing is their strategy, 347% rate of return. I go, whoa. And then, then they look at, you know, to, from 2012, To the end of 2022, and you see, you know, so you're looking at, you know, their strategy having a 661 percent rate of return versus the Wilshire 5000 at 326 percent rate of return. You go, wow, look at it. Still, it's fantastic. But then you go, well, wait a minute. And this is what Scott did: is he goes, hey, he plays around on computers a lot. He's you know fairly. pretty sharp <laughs> and he's looking at it and go wait a minute there's like this gray thing on this chart what's this gray area on this chart he's looking at it and going oh oh you know i think i'm going to read the fine print and the fine print says that the results before 2013 were based on back tests is what it says so they had to disclose it but it was only in the very fine print which, who's going to read it they probably aren't And what they're basically showing is that hey we weren't really investing over this period of time this wasn't what we were doing but this is what would have happened had you been following this strategy that we're using and then you look at what happened over the period of time that they were actually using it their active portfolio from 2013 through 2022 and you see a very different story the market vastly outperformed their strategy. So when they were actually doing it, the returns were way the heck lower than the market. And you go, well, wait a minute. This is great. And, and it was only through actually physically going in and calculating it that he figured that out. Because you would not know it looking at the charts. You would not have seen that. And you go, well, what on earth what they were teaching? They were talking about momentum, for example. And, you know, I I talked about this on the show before. You have this thing called momentum investing. Is this something that can be used in an investment portfolio? Yeah, but you don't use it to increase returns. That's what they were trying to do. In other words, an object in motion tends to stay in motion. So you invest in things that are having this positive upward performance and thinking that the positive upward performance is going to continue. Does this sound familiar? Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Does this sound any what- any what and he in any way in any way, shape or form, familiar. Yes, it should. And that's the idea. Well, how do you use it? What's more of an academic way of using? it? It's just a, a cost reduction tool is the way you know that I've taught in workshops that it might be used. It, it can be, help reduce expenses, hidden hidden expenses in the investing process. It is not to be used in you know in my humble opinion and in the academic research that i refer to often on this show as a way to increase returns yet they're trying to use it to show how we can increase returns we can use this you know this in, this approach to investing which you know does some have has some academic research behind it as a way, but it's not valid for increasing returns is what the research says why? Because the cost of implementing it outweighs the benefits, is what we found. You know, so you look at that and go, wait a minute. Yeah. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. If you want to learn more about what we do? Go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one.